Have you ever been in that place in life where um, it feels like everything is unraveling and you're just hanging on by that last thread? Or, or where if there's just one more thing that happens that your scales are just going to tip to the place that it's just not going to be recoverable. You're down to the last dollar in your account or in your pocket, and it's still a week till payday, and your pantry is bare. Or you're just drowning in debt. You got the news from the doctor, and it's worse than you thought. He or she has done what they said they'd never do again, and you're trying to figure out if you're going to trust them. Rumors of layoff have been spreading around work, and you just got an email from your boss saying that he wants to meet you in the morning. You're struggling each and every day just to simply get out of bed. Or you're living with the consequences of decisions you've made, and you're, you tried just about everything, but you're stuck, and you're just not sure how to get yourself moving forward again. Our theme for this year has been what we've called the gospel effect because we believe that the gospel, the good news of what Jesus has done through his death and his resurrection, changes everything. And that when we say yes to following Jesus, it both affects and effects everything in our lives. As Tim Keller says, the gospel is not just the ABCs of Christianity, it's the A to Z of Christianity. And this morning, we're starting a new series we're calling, Where is God When? In this series, our hope that we will see how this gospel effects works in the hard seasons of our lives. And we'll do this by seeing God work in the lives of two men that we read about in the Old Testament, David and Elijah. Some view David as the greatest king that, that lived in the Old Testament times, and some view Elijah as the greatest prophet in the Old Testament. And we're going to see that even though God did incredible things through them, they struggled. They had challenges that they wrestled with. Some of the same challenges that we wrestle with today, and they were far from perfect. Over and over again in their challenges and struggles and failures, God is with them. And there are lessons that we can learn from them about how God works and how we can trust God even through the hardest circumstances in life. And we're going to start this series by looking at some of the uh, events in the life of this guy named Elijah. And if you're not familiar with who Elijah is, that's okay. Because I'm going to give a little bit of context into how we even come to know Elijah to begin with. So when God led his chosen people from captivity in Egypt to the promised land, he used this man named Moses. And when they reached the promised land, he instructed these Israelites to completely clear the land out of all of the people who were dwelling in that land. And unfortunately, they failed to do this. All they could see, rather than trusting God, all they could see were the challenges and the difficulties of doing that very thing. And in Judges chapter 2, verse 3, God tells them the consequence of this failure to obey. He says this, So now I say, I will not drive them 
out before you, but they shall become thorns in your side, and their gods shall be a snare to you. And that's exactly what happens from that point forward. The book of Judges is a story about how Israel continually forgets God, continually worships other gods, then those people that they fail to drive out will come and oppress them. They cry out to God. God raises up a leader called a judge, which was more of a military leader than like an actual judge. And he delivers them. And as long as the judge ruling, there's peace in the land. As soon as the judge dies, the Israelites go back to the way it was before. And this happens over and over and over again. And the judges get more and more corrupt. When, when I used to read these stories, I thought about how stupid are they? How could they continue to over and over again fall into these same traps? Why couldn't they learn a lesson? And then it hit me. There are times in my life when I follow the same pattern. I, I chase after something other than God. I get trapped in it. I'll cry out to him, and, and he would remind me that he's been with me all the time. I've just been ignoring him. And I do this over and over again. I think that's kind of all of our tendencies. We, we try to find in other things and people what only God can give us then we soon discover how empty and disappointing those things are. And hopefully remember who we really need is God. Back to the Israelites. Then the Israelites decide they need something different. And they're looking around at all of these different nations that keep on oppressing them, and they realize that the difference is they have kings. Maybe that's the answer. And so they tell God, we want a king like these other nations have and basically what they're telling god is you are no longer good enough we want to be ruled by a king and god warns them he says you know what you don't really want a king because all a king is going to do is he's going to tax you and he's going to take your sons off to war but they ignore god and they decide no we want a king and so god turns them over to their desires and these kings do exactly what god said they would do they tax the people, they take their sons to die in battle, and eventually Israel, Israel gets split into two separate kingdoms, a northern kingdom that's referred to as Israel and a southern kingdom that's referred to as Judah. And these kings that rule these two separate kingdoms continue just to do bad things. For most, most part, they're not good kings. They do evil things. They turn the people away from God. They worship other gods, just as was told would happen in that Judges passage that we read earlier. And it's especially bad in this northern kingdom of Israel. And we see that it gets worse and worse, and then we get to 1 Kings chapter 16, where we are introduced to a king named Ahab. And it describes in this way, Ahab did more to provoke the Lord, the God of Israel, to anger than all the kings of Israel who were before him. And that's saying something. If you read the history of the kings in the northern kingdom, that's saying something. 
And then it goes on to list just a few things that Ahab does. He marries a foreign, he takes a foreign queen for himself that actually worships other gods. And her name is Jezebel. Maybe you've heard the name Jezebel before, not in a super positive context. And not only does he do this, then he also sets up a temple to a god, the sky god Baal. And then he starts to rebuild a city that God told him should never be rebuilt, and there's consequences for that as well. And during this time, God raises up Elijah to be the voice to Ahab and this northern kingdom. There's, there's really surprising little told about Elijah. I mean, he just kind of pops onto the scene. We know he's from this insignificant place. We have no idea, like, how old he is. Some people think he was as young as 30 when he first appears here. And what I'm going to do this morning is I'm just going to read this story that we find in 1 Kings 17. And as we say at all times, you know, what is written in God's word is the most important thing. And so I'm just going to encourage you just to pay attention to what I'm going to read this morning. 1 Kings chapter 17. The words are on the screen. Now Elijah the Tishbite of Tishbe and Gilead, say that four times fast, said to Ahab, as the Lord, the God of Israel lives before whom I stand, there shall be neither dew nor rain these years except by my word. And the word of the Lord came to him, that's Elijah, depart from here and turn eastward to hide yourself by the brook of Cherith, which is east of the Jordan. You shall drink from the brook I have commanded the ravens to feed you there. So he went and did according to the word of the Lord. And he went and he lived by the brook by, of Ch brook Cherith, and that is in the east of Jordan. And the ravens brought him bread and meat in the morning and bread and meat in the evening, and he drank from the brook. And after a while, the brook dried up because there was no rain in the land. Then the word of the Lord came to him, Arise, go to Zarephath, which belongs to Sidon, and dwell there. Behold, I have commanded a widow there to feed you. So he arose and went to Zarephath. And when he came to the gate of the city, behold, a widow was there gathering sticks. And he called her and said, Bring me a little water in a vessel that I may drink. And as she was going to bring it, he called to her and said, Bring me a morsel of bread in your hand. And she said, As the Lord your God lives, I have nothing baked. Only a handful of flour in a jar and a little oil in a jug. And now I'm gathering a couple of sticks that I may go in and prepare it for myself and my son that we may eat it and die. And Elijah said to her, do not fear, go and do as you have said, but first make me a little cake of it and bring it to me and afterward make something for yourself and your son. For thus saith the Lord, the God of Israel, the jar of flour shall not be spent and the jug of oil shall not be emptied until the day that the Lord sends rain upon the earth. And she went and did as Elijah said. And, <clears throat> and she and he and her household ate for many days. The jar of flour was not spent, neither did the jug of oil become empty according to the word of the Lord that he spoke to Elijah. After this, the son of the woman, the mistress of the house, became ill. And his illness was so severe 
that there was no breath left in him. He died. And she said to Elijah, what, is, what have you against me, O man of God? You have come to bring to me my sin to remembrance and to cause the death of my son. And he said to her, give me your son. And he took him from her arms and carried him up to the upper chamber where he lodged and laid him on his own bed. And he cried to the Lord, O Lord my God, have you brought calamity even upon the widow with whom I sojourn by killing her son? And then he stretched himself upon the child three times and cried to the Lord, O Lord my God, let this child's life come into him again. And the Lord listened to the voice of Elijah and the life of the child came into him again, and he revived. And Elijah took the child and brought him down from the upper chamber into the house and delivered him to his mother. And Elijah said, see, your son lives. And the woman said to Elijah, now I know that you are a man of God and that the word of the Lord in your mouth is truth. Elijah goes before this corrupt, evil king, and tells him that the Lord that he serves, that Elijah serves, is going to keep any form of moisture from coming in all of Ahab's kingdom until he speaks again. In other words, Ahab, this false god of the sky that you worship, this ball that you worship, you think that he controls the weather? Nope. The God I worship controls the weather, and there's going to be a severe drought throughout the land. And as you can imagine, Ahab isn't super happy with this message or the messenger. And after Elijah delivers this message, God shows him where to hide and that he will take care of him. This drought greatly impacts the entire region. In fact, we'll find out a little bit later that this drought was severe drought where there's not even dew on the ground last Three years. Can you imagine three years? No moisture. And in this story, we see Elijah and this widow in some very desperate situations. However, in the desperate circumstances of their lives, we see God continue to provide for them. And I want to spend the rest of our time this morning looking at three ways we see God providing that may help us understand how he sometimes works unexpectedly in our times of desperation. The first is this, that sometimes when we are desperate, God provides only the next step and not the whole picture. We, we see this over and over again in this story of how God just gives both Elijah and this widow the next step. Elijah first gives a message to Ahab, likely knowing that this is going to put him in a really, really bad position with this evil king. And then after he gets the message, he tells them where he's going to send him to hide. Uh, Elijah, each day, Elijah becomes dependent on these ravens providing food for him. And God waits until the brook completely dries up before he gives him his next step to go to this widow and when Elijah finally gets to the widow, she doesn't, she's down to her last meal and is getting ready to prepare and wait for death to come to her and her son. And then there's the jar of oil and flour. And you get the image of this that 
Each time they use a jar, they empty it, and then the next day, God fills it again, the next day. Just when it seems that things are about to run out, or even when things have actually run out, when desperation usually sets in, God provides. But when he provides, he just gives them the next step and never anything more. It's interesting, when you look at Scripture, how many times this idea of next steps is used. Let me just give you a couple. Psalm 37, 23 says this, the steps of a man are established by the Lord when he delights in his way. Job 34, 21, for his eyes are on the ways of man and he sees all of his steps. And Jesus teaching us how to pray in Matthew 6, 11 gives us this idea of next steps when he says, give us this day our daily bread. And this concept of next steps or daily bread is really, really challenging for us today. We, we often seek and find security in being able to see the whole picture or knowing how something ultimately will resolve. Or we want to know all of the answers, solutions to whatever challenge we're facing. We want a full pantry. We want completely released from our financial burdens like now. We want the medical issue to be completely resolved to, the, to be fully healed and restored. We want to get past our grief. We want the broken relationship to be back the way it originally was. But most of the time, most of the time, God doesn't work this way. He tends to work through steps and journeys rather than destinations. Why does God work this way? Why is it he just gives us the next step rather than the, the destination? Is it because he wants to hold some kind of like control over us? I think there are three primary reasons why we see God work in next steps. The first is, whether we acknowledge it or not, God's in control. He's in control of all things. But he's not just in control, he's in control with a purpose. Listen to these words in Philippians chapter 2, verse 13. It says, for it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. Did you catch that? Why God works in us and through us is for his good purpose. So what is this good purpose? That we would know him more, that we would trust him more, and that through our stories of what God is doing in us and through us, that more people would come to know him. Like that's God's good purpose. That's what He's doing, God is making our stories a testimony of his grace to a world that's watching. Second, he wants us to fully trust him. That by placing our trust in him is where we really find peace. Man, we are always longing for peace. Where do we find peace? We find peace in trusting God. That by trusting him is where we find this, that we can know that he is good regardless of our circumstances. His goodness has already been demonstrated for us on what he did for us on the cross and through Jesus' resurrection from the dead. And because he is good, we are able to just like fully surrender to him. This is what frees us from 
fear and worry, when I know that there is a God who loves me, who is good, not just, not just does good, but is good, and that, it, that he is in complete control, there's no reason to worry, and there's no reason to have fear. I, I think the third reason that God works in these steps is he, he uses the steps to mature us and to grow us through those steps. As a parent, imagine if you always did everything for your kid. You never let them feed themselves. You dressed them every morning. You protected them from any adversity they would ever face. Like, what kind of adult would they become? It's in the steps through the trials in our lives that God deepens our faith and our matures us in him. And we can trust God in each step as he provides without needing to know how everything turns out. I think the second thing that we see in, these, in this story is that sometimes when we are desperate, God provides out of scarcity rather than abundance. Of all the places God could have sent Elijah, he chooses to send him to a Gentile widow. Like, from the Israelites' perspective, this is kind of the low of the low. And not just any Gentile widow, a Gentile widow who's preparing her last meal. <laughs> but this seems how God often works, out of our limitations and in our scarcity. I, I just think about a couple of examples that you see of this in Scripture. I think about Jesus and his disciples in the temple, and they're watching as people are coming to give their offerings. And you have the religious leaders who are flaunting their wealth and their abundance by just like openly giving these large amounts of money out of their abundance. And then there's a widow who walks into the scene and she puts in two small coins and a penny and catches Jesus' attention. He says this in Luke 21 verses 3 and 4. He said, truly I tell you, this poor widow has put in more than all of them. For they all contributed out of their abundance, but she, out of her poverty, put in all she had to live on. She gave out of her scarcity because she trusted in God's provision and not in what she had. Or, or, or how about this example? You just think about all of the different leaders that we read about in the Bible. I mean, think about Moses, for example. If you know anything about the story of Moses, I mean, Moses was this really... This is a leader that lacked a whole lot of confidence. He was a murderer. He, was a, he had some kind of a speech thing where he didn't feel comfortable talking in front of people. His brother had to be the spokesperson when he led. But God chose Moses. And, and then in the book of Judges, you read about Gideon. And Gideon is come, he, the, God comes to Gideon when he's like hiding from the enemy. And he's like, he makes all kinds of excuses. He needs all kinds of tests from God. Like he is like the least of, the last person you would expect to be a military leader. And yet God chooses Gideon. You think about the 12 that Jesus chose. And he chose Matthew, a tax collector who was hated and despised. He chose Peter, who couldn't keep his mouth shut. God continually selects men and women to lead who have significant shortcomings, who are broken, who are flawed, and God provides leaders out of their scarcity or their limitations. 
1 Corinthians verse one, or chapter 1, verse 27 says this, but God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise, and God chose the weak thing of worlds to shame the strong. Why? Why does God seem to provide out of our scarcity and our limitations and our weakness? It's because of this. Our tendency is to rely on ourselves. We are self-reliant most of the time, and that's the effect that sin has had on our lives. Like, sin has done this to us. Like, sin has turned our attention to ourselves and off of God. And so we tend to just depend on ourselves, on our strengths, on our abilities, on our gifts, on our talents. And the truth is we can never be enough. We were created to worship God, to fully trust him and to depend on him. He is the only one where we can find our fulfillment. And when God works through our scarcity, or our limitations, or our weaknesses, this serves as a constant reminder of this truth that we need him. I love this passage that, that Kate read for us in John 15, 5. It's a reminder of this, right? And Jesus is speaking right before he's going to go to the cross. He says, I am the vine. You are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do how much? Nothing. In our times of desperation, God often provides for us out of our scarcity and out of our limitation. He is the one who meets us in our mess. That's the message of the gospel. That's the message of the good news that while we were still sinners, Jesus died for us. In our most desperate place where all hope was gone, God provided a way through Jesus for us to be forgiven of all of our sins and restored back into relationship with him. Which leads us to the final way that we see God provide here. Sometimes when we are desperate, God provides in ways that seemed impossible. What an amazing ending to this chapter. This widow who had already lost her husband suddenly loses her son. And her first reaction is to blame Elijah and God. And it's often what we do when things happen, right? When we get desperate. But, but God does the impossible and raises this child from the dead. Listen, it's easy when we are in a desperate place to put limitations on God that really aren't there because we believe we serve a God that nothing is impossible. And God can do what seemed impossible. Does this mean that God always does the impossible? No. Sometimes he does the impossible in ways that are different from what we'd hoped. In December of, <clears throat> in December of 2018, my dad went into what was supposed to be a routine surgery. He had a mass on his lungs, and it was supposed to be a simple procedure. And um, I got a call from my sister, and things had gone poorly. And so I rushed back, flew back, and uh, remembered spending basically two agonizing days with the news that you get of showing signs of improvement, not showing signs of improvement for those two days. And then the worst fear happened, my dad ended up passing. 
And you're like, well, where's the story of the impossible in this? This is the story of the impossible in this. I was sad, and I grieved, but I had this unbelievable peace that just didn't make any sense. I mean, this was, this was my last parent. This was my family's last parent. And there's something the weird that happens when you lose both your parents, like this imaginary, doesn't matter, matter how old you are, this imaginary safety net that's always been there your whole life just kind of like vanishes. My children, <laughs> they lost their lost grandparent. My nephews, who were very close to my, my dad, you know, lost their grandfather. And what should have been something that just completely wrecked my sister and I, again, while we grieved and while we were sad, had this unbelievable peace throughout it. God worked in an impossible situation. So why does God work in the impossible? He does this to show us that he's God. So that we, we can see him for who he is, and that's exactly what happens with this widow. Did you see her response? She believes that God is who he says he is why Jesus rose Lazarus from the dead. It wasn't just because Lazarus was a close friend of him, it was because then people could see that Jesus was who he said he was, that he was in true, it, truly the resurrection and the life. And God provides in ways that seemed impossible so that we can make the choice to experience the impossibility of a reconciled relationship with him made possible through the death and the resurrection of Jesus. That's how much he loves us. So where is God when I'm desperate? He's right there with you. Ultimately, God wants to turn our desperation into dependence on him. Let me say that again. God wants to turn our desperation into dependence on him. Because it's only when we are dependent on him that we are able to live in the freedom and joy and peace that supersede any desperate circumstances we may face in life. Let's pray. Father, thank you that you are a God who is always with us. Father, thank you for a God that even in the hardest circumstances of life, even in the most desperate times, that you are a God who is near. Father, I thank you that you are the one who works through our circumstances, that you continue to shape us to be the people that you want us to be through our circumstances. And Father, I pray that even this morning, I know there are people listening this morning who are in that place of desperation. And Father, I would just pray for your peace, your comfort, your strength to rule in their lives and in their circumstances this morning. And in Jesus' name I pray, amen.